Well, good morning. It's so good seeing all of you guys. Welcome. If you have your Bibles, just go ahead and turn to Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 12. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I am so grateful that you are faithful even when we are unfaithful. That you remain true to your promises even when we break our promises. And Lord, we're so grateful for the mercy and the grace that you've lavished upon us through your Son. That you have redeemed us. That you have adopted us into your family. And that even though we might be going through difficult times and we might be facing opposition and persecution is coming, Lord, we can trust you. We can endure because we know that death is not the end, but that we will receive resurrection life and an eternal inheritance. And Lord, I pray that these promises that we see in your word and the instructions that we receive in your word, Lord, can you help us to be obedient to these instructions? Can you help us to receive these promises with gladness and heart as we cling to them in the midst of the storm? Lord, help us not to be tossed to and throw by every winds of doctrine, but help us to remain firm in your word and to stand on Christ, the solid rock. Lord, you know each and every one in this room. You know what they are facing. You know what they are experiencing. Can you minister to them? Can you give them a word? Can you meet them where they are? Can you remind them that they are not alone, that they can trust you, that you are faithful, and that you are triumphant, that in all the chaos and all the uncertainties, everything is going to end the way you have decreed it to end. Can you speak to us? Holy Spirit, can you convict us? Can you illuminate truth to us? Can your word speak life into us? And those who are asleep and those who are dead in their sins, can you raise them to life? Can you take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh? Can you open up their eyes that are blind and their ears that are deaf and their minds and hearts that are closed? Can you open it and speak life into it? and radically transform them. Lord, this is what we long for, and may we walk out of here in awe of you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible, it says turn to Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 12, uh, and we're going to start off with verse 4. And so we're wrapping up our series through the book of Daniel. 
Um, now, for the past uh, two weeks, uh, we've kind of been dealing with the last section of the book of Daniel. In, in chapter 10, uh, we talked about the, the context of the vision. Uh, last week in chapter 11, we talked about the content of the vision. And now in Daniel 12, we're talking about the instructions of the vision. So in Daniel 12, what we're going to see is we're going to see a heavenly figure uh, that has appeared to Daniel, and he gave Daniel a word of revelation concerning the future of his people, and now he is going to give Daniel instruction of what to do with this vision. And when Daniel asked for further clarity or outcomes of this vision of what's going to take place in the future, the heavenly figure tells him, Go on your way, Daniel. Daniel, you will die, but death will not be your end. For you will be raised from the dead, and you will receive an eternal inheritance. Now, a main theme as we look at Daniel chapter 12 is how do we live as exiles in a foreign world? How do we live as citizens of God's kingdom in a world that is hostile towards us? If you think about it, the entire book of Daniel, if we kind of zoom out and we look at the entire book of Daniel, really the entire book of Daniel is is Daniel and his three friends that have been deported from Babylon living as exiles in a foreign land. And so really the book of Daniel is how do we as exiles live in a foreign land? Like what can we do when we find ourselves as strangers, as exiles? We're not home yet. What do we do? And the entire book of Daniel kind of tells us like we can trust God, that God is sovereign, God is in control. He raises kings and he brings them down and regardless of what happens, we can look to him, we can trust him, we can endure and the instructions for us is to remain faithful. And so I just think the way that Daniel ends is so appropriate as it starts off with exile and now it ends with as exiles, how do we live? What's the instructions for us? And so this is why I even titled this sermon, Instructions for Exiles. And so my hope is in this series, as we wrap up the book of Daniel, that we will receive some practical instructions of living as exiles during difficult times. So let's see if we can accomplish this. Let's look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. It says this, But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. So let's just stop here. Interestingly enough and surprisingly, the first instruction that Daniel was given is to keep these words secret and seal the book until the end of time. Now, when we read it, what's our initial reaction? Our initial reaction is that what Daniel's supposed to be doing is he's supposed to write this down and then he's supposed to hide it in a secret place so that no one can find it until finally at the very end. And so now the question for us is like, is that really what it's saying? Because why are we reading the book of Daniel? Does that mean we're in the end? But the problem with that is how long has the book of Daniel been read? The book has been circulating for centuries and centuries. So either Daniel did not understand the instruction or he did not obey the instruction. Or a third option is 
maybe what we're reading, that was not really the instruction. Because in our English language and in our culture, when somebody says keep it secret and seal it, that means classify it so that no one can find it. So the question is, what does this phrase mean, keep it secret and seal this book? Um, One of the things we've been trying to teach you, especially in life groups, is how to study God's word. And so when it comes to the interpretation, when it looks to, when there's a phrase and we need interpretation, what sometimes helps us is to look at other translations. What do other, if there's a word, if there's a phrase, if we don't really know what it means, we look at all the other translations, kind of compare, and then we're like, okay, what does that mean? Does it provide further clarity? Uh, And so in some translations, it says, keep it secret. In other translations, the ESV, I think it does a better job with the phrase rather than uh, rather than saying keep it secret it says shut up the words okay now you can see why the csb kind of said keep it secret but because shut up the words just sounds rude coming off off the mouth i feel like i'm telling you to shut up but i'm not telling you to shut up it just says shut up these words so the two phrases we come across is shut up these words seal the book and i do think these phrases is one phrase. In other words, it's two phrases with the same meaning, synonymous. And so the idea, I think, is not to take these words, hide it, and put it in a safe place for no one to find it, but rather what it means is to protect these words, to write these words, to, to, to keep them safe, to seal them. In other words, that people will know that is from you so that these words will be persevered, will be preserved through the end so that other readers will discover it and see the main source of it. That these words came from God. And that as Daniel wrote these words, he wrote it for future readers so that as they find themselves living the days that Daniel spoke about, They would read it, and what would they discover? Ah, what we're experiencing, Daniel wrote about, which means God has given Daniel these words, which means that God is sovereign over these words, that these things that are taking place is not some unfortunate accident, but rather is decreed by God. And if it's decreed by God, which means it has a purpose. So we're not hopeless in this hopeless situation. We're not directionless in this situation full of chaos. But we know it is from God. And that means we can be encouraged. And that means we can endure. Because as they read the entire book of Daniel, what's the themes? God is sovereign. Life is hard. The people of God is going to face opposition and suffering and persecution. But who wins at the end? God does. So what does it mean for the reader that is finding themselves in a difficult time when they find themselves with tyrannical rulers and oppressors and nations uh, conquering other nations and worlds falling apart? Like what does that mean for the reader who's reading the book of Daniel? We can be encouraged because the Lord can be trusted because at the end of the day, he is triumphant. So let us endure, let us be encouraged to the very end as we continue to walk in righteousness and so the instructions that the heavenly figure is giving Daniel is like write this down preserve these words so that the future readers that are going through this difficult time that it's spoken to may be encouraged 
And may they look to God and be strengthened and be able to persevere. Um, Look at the second part of of, of verse 4. The second sentence, it says, Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Um, certainly this is a phrase that has some mystery to it. And, and many, many modern day interpreters kind of look at this phrase and, and think of it in a negative thing, in a negative sense where they're thinking like at the end of time as evil is increasing, there will be a drastic increase in mobility and scientific and technological advancements. And that is a sign for us that we are living in the end times. But I do think for us, when we look at this phrase, and we're trying to understand this phrase, especially if we look at other translations and we're seeing, okay, the phrase is more or less similar, then we've got to ask ourselves, where else do we find this phrase in Scripture? And so we find this phrase in Scripture in Amos chapter 8, verse 12. If you just want to write down the reference, you can later look it up. But what that phrase means, the people were roaming about. The context of that phrase was the people were roaming about. The people were seeking the word of the Lord. And as they were seeking the word of the Lord, they were not finding the word of the Lord. But here in verse 4, I do think this phrase is not a negative phrase, but rather a positive phrase because it's tied up with the very first part of verse 4. Think about the whole verse 4 in these two phrases. Daniel is instructed to keep these words, preserve these words, or this book for who? For future readers. So that when these future readers are confronted by suffering and persecution, they will be encouraged that the Lord is sovereign, the Lord is triumphant. And then the second phrase is this. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase, which means as these future readers are reading this book, they're seeking the word of the Lord. They will start to understand it as events unfold and they will increase in knowledge and it will give them encouragement. Uh, Let me give you an example. So for example, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets spoke about a coming Messiah. And they talked about the coming Messiah as one who is a suffering servant, as one who is a man of sorrow, as one who is a king, a son of David, a son of God. Now, did you think the prophets knew exactly all of this? Because in their mind is how can one person be a suffering servant, a man of sorrow, a conquering king, a son of God, and a son of David at the same time? Did they understand it? With clarity? No. But us on the other side of redemption history, we look at it and say, oh yeah, that's easy. His name is Jesus. Jesus was a man of sorrow. Jesus was a suffering servant. Jesus is a conquering king. He is a son of David coming from the line of David and he's always been the son of God. So as we've moved in the redemptive history and we now on the other side of the cross, These things make sense to us. And this is what verse 4, that phrase means. Many will roam about as they're seeking understanding of God's word. As things are unfolding in history, in the redemptive history, things will start to make sense. So for example, when Daniel's writing these things down, you're going to find out Daniel's like, yeah, I don't understand any of this. But as history is unfolded, 
we look back and we're like, oh yeah, this is what some of these things mean because this is what some of these, how some of these things have taken place. Our knowledge has increased. Now, does that mean we understand everything there is about the passage? Is there still mysteries? Absolutely. But as time goes on, as we're getting closer to the return of Christ, as events are unfolding, and our study and understanding of God's word, our knowledge will increase. And this is what that means. So, so here's the, the very first instruction. As we see the instruction uh, for Daniel, here's the first instruction for us as exiles, if you're taking note, is this. Is that we need to tr- treasure God's word and grow in our understanding of it. We need to treasure God's word and grow in our understanding of it. Now you're like, where did you get that application? Like, just follow the logic with me here. If Daniel was given a vision, a word from the Lord, and he was told to write it down, to make sure this word is preserved for future readers, so that when they go through difficult times, when they go through suffering, when they go through opposition, what do they do? What do they turn to? They turn to God. They turn to his word. And in their word, in his word, they are encouraged that, look, we can trust God. God is faithful. God is sovereign. It encourages them to to persevere. It encourages them to endure. And this was true for the people of God as exiles. And this is true for us today as exiles. So what do we do in today's culture when literally this is not our home? We find ourselves as exiles wandering. We find ourselves wandering and we feel like we don't belong anywhere and we're faced with opposition and eventually we're going to be faced with persecution. What do we do? We go to God's word. We treasure God's word because what what happens in God's word? In God's word, God reveals himself to us. In God's word, God reveals to us what he has done for us, what he has accomplished for us. In God's word, he reveals to us what God is going to do. That regardless of what's going on, regardless of what's happening in our culture, who wins at the end? God does. And even in his words, he gives us instructions of how to navigate through these things. And so my instruction for us as people living as exiles, we need to treasure God's word and we need to grow in our understanding of God's word. One of the greatest tragedies in the evangelical church of today is the illiteracy of God's word. I'm just reminded of Paul, I think it's Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, 3, or 4, somewhere there, where he uses this phrase that we are being tossed to and fro by every winds of doctrine. We're illiterate. We don't know God's word. We're not in God's word. We're not treasuring it. And basically every little thing we hear, we grab onto, and then we hear something else, and we grab onto that, and we have nothing to stand on. Because we're not treasuring God's word. We're not growing in our understanding of God's word. We're not reading it. We're not memorizing. We're not meditating upon it. And so I want to encourage you. Here's a practical instruction for you. You as living as an exile, 
Treasure God's word. Grow in your understanding of it. Read it. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. Because in it, you're reminded, my God is faithful. Even when I'm unfaithful, I can trust my God no matter what's going on. And that every promise that he has given me is as good as done. It is guaranteed. So in my suffering and in my oppression, I can cling to the promises of God. I can be reminded I'm not alone. God is with me. God is for me. God has never abandoned me, never will he abandon me. That God has accepted me, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of what Christ has done on my behalf. That my identity is not what others think of me, but my identity is rooted in Christ. I am united with Christ. Christ lives in me and I live in Christ. That his righteousness has become my righteousness. Where do you find these truths? In God's word. Read it. Treasure it. Let's move on. Look at at verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. One of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river, How long until the end of these wondrous things? Then I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river. He raised both his hands towards heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times and a half a time. And when the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. I heard but did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? He said, go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. So you're like, what's going on here? Daniel is basically where he began in chapter 10. Remember when he saw this heavenly figure dressed in white linen, standing above the Tigris River, and he had the sash and, and, and flaming eyes and mouths roaring like the multitudes. He's basically back there looking at the heavenly figure. But what else now does he see? He sees two more angels. One of the angels that is not named is asking a question. Basically the question that Daniel wants to know. Basically the question all of us want to know. When? How long till these things are taking place? What's the time frame? When is the season of turmoil and tragedy that is in store for God's people? And the one who questions is addressed is the same as the heavenly figure that's dressed in linen that's above the water. And the phrase above the water uh, really implies divinity. Uh, We see that phrase in Genesis 1 verse 2 and Psalm 29 verse 3 where God's spirit and God's voice were above the waters. And so this heavenly figure, when he hears this question, He raises both hands, which really is an unusual act. And then he invoked an oath by him who lives eternally. And then he answers the question. And he says it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. In other words, 
three and a half years. I'll be honest with you. Just with all other scholars, it's just speculation. It all depends how you interpret chapter 11. If we interpret chapter 11, the whole of chapter 11, as talking about the upheaval and the opposition from Antiochus Epiphanes, then three and a half years line up between during the time he was oppressing the Jews because it occurred from 167 BC to 164 BC. If it's not that time frame, I don't know where it is. I'm just being honest. And I don't think it is very beneficial for me to speculate upon these things. When it comes to apocalyptic literature, when it comes to scriptures, here's what's a helpful tip. What is plain is main. So what is very clear in this text? They ask how long a time frame is being provided. So what does the time frame indicate? There's a time limit. There's an end. So here's what we do know for certain. Here's what we can all agree on and stand on. God promises there will be an end. Look at verse 7. Then I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river raise both his hands towards heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times and a half a time when the power of the Holy people was shattered all these things will be completed. In other words, what do we know for sure? Things will be completed. In other words, there will be an end. That's what we know for sure. And for many of you, especially for me, verse 8 is my favorite verse. We can all relate to it. Look at verse 8. I heard, or a.k.a. I read, but I did not understand. I heard, I read, I did not understand other than there will be an end. And just like Daniel, we heard, we read, we did not understand. So what what does Daniel do? Daniel, he rephrases the question. He's like, okay, maybe the angel didn't do a good job uh, asking the question, so let me rephrase it. Maybe that will give me some clarity. And the question that he rephrases, what will be the outcome of these things? In other words, God, what is the purpose for this period and trial for your people? Was Daniel given an answer? Look at verse 9. What was the answer? He was given an answer. It's just not the answer he wanted to hear. The answer is what? Go. Go on your way, Daniel. These words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. In other words, what he is saying is, Daniel, don't worry about these things. Go on with your life and know this vision that you have written down will be preserved for future readers. And they will probably understand it better when things start to unfold. Your job is to write it down. Your job is to seal it, to make sure these words are preserved for my people for future so that when they go through this time period, They can read it. They can be encouraged by it. But for you, move on. Live your life to the rest of days, for there will be no more revelation given to you. The word is protected. The word is preserved. Everything is going to happen as God intends it to happen at the right right time. So Daniel, 
be faithful and trust the Lord. Which leads me to our second instruction as exiles. Not only do we treasure God's word and we grow in our understanding of it, but I do think our second instruction that Daniel receives that we can apply to us is this. Go on your way. In other words, trust the Lord that he will end things at the right, right time. Trust the Lord that he will end things at the right time. Let's just be honest. When it comes to eschatology, the doctrine of end times, there are so many views and so many disagreements. And there are so many things that are clear and so many things that are unclear. But what do, you, what do we know for certain? We know for certain things are going to go end when God decrees it for it to end. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make all things new. And what do we do? We trust the Lord. We trust the Lord that he is going to end things when he says it's going to end. So what's your instruction as an exile? Try to figure all these things out. Can you have some clarity on these things? Maybe. But your job, my job, is that as we treasure God's word, as we grow in our understanding of God's word, of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do, we trust the Lord believing that things are going to end at the right time because he is the one that will bring it to its rightful end and make all things new. Look, look at verse 10. It says this, Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Like, as I mentioned earlier, when it comes to end times, there are things we know and there are things we do not know. And the reason why there are things we do not know because God has not revealed them to us. But what do we know for certain? We know for certain that Jesus is coming back. He's making all things new. And how are we ought to live? We ought to live in light of Jesus coming back to make all things new. And how do we live in light of Jesus coming back, making all things new? We ought to pursue holiness. This is what verse 10 is showing you. Look, look at verse 10 again. It says, many will be purified, cleansed, refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. In other words, here is what happens during suffering. Here is what happens during um, persecution and opposition. There's two things that happen. It either purifies and cleanses you or it increases wickedness. There's no middle ground. You either grow in the time of opposition, in the time of persecution, in the time of suffering, you either grow in your understanding of who God is and what he's done and what he's going to do, or you grow cold and reject who God is and what he's done and what he's going to do. There is no middle ground. So, so here's the third instruction that, that, that we have. Like, like, how do we live as exiles? Not only do we treasure God's word, we trust the Lord, but the third one is we pursue, if you're taking notes, we pursue holiness and we rejoice in its fruits. 
we pursue holiness and we rejoice in its fruits. Like think about this, throughout the Bible, the Lord is constantly refining and purifying his people through what means. Can I say it out loud? Is that okay? Through, through suffering, through opposition, through persecution. That's how the Lord refines his people. You're like, where in the Bible do you see it? Well, James, look at James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Let's just do New Testament just to be safe here because we want to say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. Well, let me show you in the New Testament, James 1, 2, verse 4. Consider it a great joy whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So when you go through suffering, when you go through opposition, when you go through various trials, you can rejoice in it. Why? Because the Lord is refining you. The Lord is purifying you. He is cleansing you. Peter says the same thing. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 to 7. You rejoice in this even now for a short time. If necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter, who is writing to the scattered exiles, he says, hey guys, suffering is coming. Don't be discouraged by it. Rejoice in it. Why? Because the Lord is refining you. The Lord is purifying you. The Lord is cleansing you. So what do we do as exiles? We pursue holiness, rejoicing in its fruit. And and here's the great part of it. We don't pursue holiness independent of God, but God is committed to our holiness. Think about Jesus Christ. He has declared us righteous. He has declared us holy. And now God is committed in making us righteous and making us holy. And how does he do it? I hate to say it. Suffering, opposition, persecution. So why can we rejoice in difficult times? Because the Lord is showing me that he is committed to purify me, to cleanse me to make me holy, because in that difficult time, what does it force me to do? It reminds me I can't do anything about it. It is out of my control. I need the Lord. I am desperately dependent upon him and he who gives me strength. Without him, I can't do it. So I trust him and I thank him. But in the midst of it, I don't just sit on my hands, but I pursue holiness as I actively treasure him in his word, as I actively seek understanding of who he is, as I actively even look at what's going on around me and say, man, this stinks, this is hard. I can endure, I can persevere, trusting that the Lord is refining me. Here is what we're going to see, and I think it's a good thing. We've seen the Lord use it throughout the church. He is constantly refining his church. He's constantly purifying his church and he uses difficult times because in those difficult times, our faith are tested. And so here is my encouragement to you and my warning to you. 
Do not fall away. Get in God's word. Trust him, cling to him. So that when the time comes, you may stand firm. Let's keep reading and then we're almost done. Verse 11. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. Most scholars are not sure what these numbers mean. Uh, One scholar even wrote this, a scholar of, of New Testament. He said, these things are here which we cannot explain yet. And as much as I want to get creative with these numbers and just speculate, I don't think it's productive. What do we know is certain in this text? Look at verse 12 again. What do we know is certain? How long is this trial going to last? There's going to be an end. But what happens to those who persevere? Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. Basically, that's a beatitude. Remember, blessed are those or happy are those. What the heavenly figure is telling Daniel is happy are those, blessed are those who wait, those who endure to the very end. So again, in other words, what's the Lord doing? The Lord promises, and the Lord promises to bless those who endure and those who persevere through these difficult times, through these troubling, troubling times of opposition and persecution. In other words, things are going to move ahead as the Lord has decreed, and things are going to end as the Lord has decreed. And in these mysteries, we can have assurance that everything is going to take place just like the Lord has decreed. But not only can we have assurance, but we can also be encouraged that in these mysteries, we can persevere, we can endure through the end. Because what are the promises if we persevere, if we endure to the end? You will be blessed. You will be happy. In other words, what that really means is you will receive your salvation. Jesus says both in Matthew 10:22 and Matthew 24:13, he says he who perseveres through the end will be what? Will be saved. It's very similar what what the heavenly figures telling Daniel. If you persevere, if you endure to the very end, you'll be blessed. You will be saved. So which gives us our final instruction. Endure to the end. It will be worth it. Endure to the end. It will be worth it. Look at verse 13. uh, the, The final command and promise Daniel receives in verse 13. It says, but as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. Notice the command and notice the promise. The command to Daniel is 
go live out the rest of your life. Other words, live out the rest of your life in faithfulness. That's the command. What's the promise? What will Daniel receive? Daniel, you're going to die, but will death be your end? No, you will be raised. You will be resurrected. And what else? You will receive an inheritance. Now, think about the significance of the last sentence in the book of Daniel. And think about, let's zoom out, let's look at the whole book of Daniel. The book of Daniel begins with what? It begins with Daniel and his three friends that have been deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. They are now exiles. They have lost everything. The inheritance, gone. So what does the whole book of Daniel then continues? It shows us how Daniel remained faithful, how Daniel trusted the Lord. The Lord revealed to Daniel that he can be trusted and delivering Daniel and his friends in their faithfulness and that he is sovereign over everything. Where does Dan when, when Daniel receives the last word, Daniel is still in exile, still probably in Babylon. He's not back home. And how does the book end? The book ends with, you'll be raised and you will receive your eternal inheritance. Just think about that way here. For many of us, it's hard to grasp because many of us have not been immigrants uh, or exiles or aliens. We've not lost much. And I'm not saying all of you. I'm sure maybe there's some of you who've lost everything. Your inheritance and you had to start all over again. This is Daniel. And the Lord promises him, you'll gain even more, buddy. You'll gain even more. Not just a better life, a resurrected life. Not just a temporary inheritance, but an eternal inheritance. This is how the book ends. So what does that mean for us? That means for us that as exiles, we might lose everything. But we can endure because it's worth it. Because even though our life might end in death, death will not be the end. For we will receive, if we are in Christ, a resurrected life, an eternal inheritance. And the entire book of Daniel has been showing us that God can be trusted. So be encouraged in your endurance God can be trusted because God is faithful. So, so let me wrap it up because I think a good sermon has to point you to Jesus one way or another. So let me point you to Jesus in this. You've received your instruction. Treasure God's word, growing on your understanding of it. Trust the Lord that he's going to finish things at the right, right time. Pursue holiness, rejoice in its fruit. Endure it knowing it is worth it. 
the story and vision of the book of Daniel declares to all its readers throughout its time periods, whether it was during the Maccabean revolt when the people were reading the book of Daniel or whether it's now uh, in the year 2023, the message remains the same. You can trust God. It gives us an example of Daniel and his three friends that were faithful and that walked by faith. And as admirable and as honorable these guys were and great examples, Daniel and his friends were just a shadow, a type of the ultimate one who is truly faithful. His name is Jesus. Because Jesus was the ultimate faithful Israelite. He was too in exile when he took on flesh He was a man, the son of man, who had no place to lay down his head. He constantly faced opposition. He faced persecution. He faced rejection, betrayal. And yet Jesus, speaking with wisdom, he was the very wisdom and word of God. Rather than seeking understanding, like Daniel Jesus spoke with all authority and understood all revelation because he was the very revelation of God. When he entered into the fiery furnace of the cross and he was thrown into the den of the tomb, it was no match for God. For the power of God for on the third day, death was undone by his glorious resurrection. In the vision, he is the triumphal stone that starts off small, that crushes all the other kingdoms, and that grows and grows and becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. His death is the one that sealed the new covenant, that ushered in the jubilee of jubilees because he is the anointed one that has finished and dealt with our transgressions, put an end of our sins once and for all, and atoned for all of our iniquities. He is the one that has inaugurated the kingdom of God, and he is the first fruit of the resurrection for all who believe. He is our guarantee of resurrection life, so that when we fall asleep in death, death will not be our end. For those who are in Christ will rise to everlasting life and will shine like the brightness of the stars. So all hail the power of Jesus. For in his name is there salvation for sinners and hopes for the saints. So what do we do in light of Christ? Go on your way. Live out your life in faithfulness. Until our days are done, until we sleep in death, knowing we will awake. And on that glorious day of the resurrection, we will receive our inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth. And with new eyes, we will behold the truth of what Daniel declared in Daniel 7 verse 14, where his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom shall never be destroyed. That's your hope.
Let me pray for us.